it's easy, I think, uh, on these topics we're looking at to kind of lose track where we are in the, the larger scheme of things. This 11-week series on science and faith kind of falls into three sort of groupings. Uh, today we finish the first of the three, uh, where we're looking at basically uh, this metaphor that seems to be prevalent in our society. It's made the cover of about no less than seven Time magazines, several Newsweek magazines, headlines, tons of books, which implies that there is a war, it's called the war metaphor, or a fundamental conflict that lies between science and faith. So we begin the series by just looking at that and what is, what is that about, where does that come from, and, and how realistic is that, that they actually are irreconcilable differences between the two. The second thing we'll do, which we're going to start next week and do for three weeks, is to look at some of the, the more exciting um, discoveries, you might say, or developments within the scientific community. Uh, going back to 1905, Einstein's miracle year, when he wrote a series of papers that literally transformed the universe as we knew it and laid the foundations for basically all contemporary science. We'll then look at uh, Big Bang cosmology, the anthropic principle, some of the developments that are coming through astronomy, astrology, and uh, astrophysics, and then end with the one I think is the most exciting and, of course, the most difficult. That would be quantum physics. <laughs> uh, worth the effort, by the way. When, and no math. Zip, not a math. We're not going there, okay? Finally, I uh, want to take four weeks to say in light of contemporary science, the Einstein and post-Einstein universe, as we understand it, what insights uh, does this new view of the universe give us on our faith and how we can articulate our faith? And so we'll spend four weeks there. So the last two weeks, what have we been doing? Well, we began by looking two weeks ago at just what's at stake in this discussion from the aspect of faith. And there were several things. And the belief in God is not the most fundamental. The most fundamental belief that, that we as a religious community have is that we believe there's more than you just observe. And the traditional language is there's a spiritual dimension or there is a supernatural or there's a metaphysical or there's a transcendent. That there's more to reality than that just we, we perceive. And a lot flows out from that. Secondly, as people of faith, we believe that there, uh, not all information, not all valid information is empirical data. That there's other information that comes into play and there's something within the religious tradition we refer to as revelation, encompassing both natural revelation, which means things that we can learn through observation. Uh, for example, the psalm says the heavens declare the glory of God. So you can sort of intuit from the creation that there's some stuff going on. And then there's more specific revelation, which is things like scripture, the Koran, the Torah, the New Testament. These are not what you would observe, but they're valid sources of information. And then we mentioned at the beginning, at the end there, that, that the faith is always articulated in the context of a worldview. Uh, that worldview will shift as the worldview of the culture and the society shifts but it's always expressed, whether it was the Hebraic or the Babylonian or the uh, Platonic or the Aristotelian or the Newtonian, it keeps shifting. And of course today we live in the post-Einstein universe and so the faith needs to be articulated in ways that make sense with that. Last week we then looked at uh, science, what do we mean by science, and there we focused in on something called the scientific method. Probably the most useful tool the human race has ever come up with that has 
literally transformed our world, transformed our lives in a myriad of ways. And scientific, uh, scientific for me, the scientific uh, approach is, is there's a lot of misnomers out there. For example, science does not pursue truth. And we saw a lot of quotations last week from scientists. Science is not about truth. It's about data. And it's about interpretation. The other thing about science that's a misnomer is science does not prove anything. So if you've got a scientific book that was written about four years ago by a certain person who shall not go named, who said that they can prove scientifically that God does not exist, that's just bad science. Okay, It's also bad theology, but it's bad science. Uh, so what is science? Well, the, the science is based on what's called the empirical method which is the methodology of looking at that which our senses give us. And the senses, by the way, can be enhanced by all kinds of technology. And then reflecting on it and trying to come up with hypotheses that, that might explain what we see. And then we test those things. We run them by other people. We look at them. And if it stands up, it becomes a theory. Not a, never a proof. It becomes a theory until the next hypothesis comes up, knocks down the theory and we start over. That's how science advances. So what we want to move to today is explore this. And there's a couple of the, the Time magazine uh, uh, headlines that deal with this. This perception that is out there, that there's something about science and something about faith that puts them in the fundamental conflict with each other. And we want to basically examine that today. And we also want to look at, in particular, one worldview that has emerged out of science, and there's a hot debate as to whether or not it itself qualifies as the science. I would say, based on my reading, the majority of scientists say it does not. The majority of scientists would say to us that this worldview that's being put forward by some people as, as a scientific worldview is, in fact, not science. It is, in fact, ideology, metaphysics, theology, and religion put forward in the name of science. And that's where we're going to be headed in a little bit. Let's begin reminding ourselves of fundamental truth. For many, and my money would be on the majority, I think for the majority of people, there is no conflict between science and faith. And we have some, some data to back this up. Many people of faith openly embrace science. A good bunch of you are in this room right now, right? Yeah. We do not see that there's an issue there. We do not feel like that, that our Faith is compromised by our believing in science. We just don't see uh, where the conflict is. Like the Book of Discipline, we see both science and faith as legitimate, as valid. They're different, but they're both legitimate, valid ways of looking at the universe and trying to grapple with it. We view them, to quote the discipline, not as incompatible, but as complementary. Different. So complementary means they're not the same. There are two different ways of looking at it, but each has a contribution to make as you bring them together. Likewise, many scientists, and by the way, studies have been done among scientific uh, professional organizations on this issue. Uh, many scientists, probably a majority, are people of faith. Depends on how you define faith, and we'll look at that in a second. They practice their faith without compromising their science. According to the National Academy of Sciences, Nearly half of all scientists believe in God. I was amazed. It surprised me. Uh, studies vary, but the last study done in 2009 that I can find says 44% of 
of scientists willing to sit down and answer that question. Uh, now, if you play with the language a little bit, and you're not going to go God, but deity or higher power, all of a sudden we're in the majority. 51% of scientists in the professional organization say they believe in a deity or a higher power of some time. Now, they may not go to church. They may not accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but they, they sense that there's a higher power there. This one surprised me. Nearly half of all scientists not only pray to God, but believe that God, in fact, answers their prayers. The statistics there have consistently fallen in the low, the low 40s. So almost half. And you would expect this group of all groups out in our culture to be among the most hardcore. The source is the American Association for the Advancement of Science survey done in 2009. Which means Time Magazine may be a little misleading. <laughs> and the line drawn between science and faith and, and the, the metaphor that developed in the late 1800s of the war or the conflict metaphor may be, for many people, slightly overblown. Um, in fact, there is a good deal of overlap between the communities. Um, and so we have to ask ourselves, why has conflict, this, this metaphor, this way of understanding science and faith, why has it got traction? Obviously, it's connecting with something real out there or you wouldn't, it wouldn't get traction. I mean, you just dismiss it unless there's something going on out there that it kind of resonates with. Um, in principle, the last two weeks, I would say I, I'm convinced based on what I read that in, in principle there should be no absolute conflict between science and faith or science and religion. Uh, by definition, science cannot make claims that infringe in the realm of faith since it is limited to the empirical. That's how science defines itself, is limited to the empirical. Likewise, faith is not concerned with the arena that science addressed and the famous, actually the words were originally from a Roman Catholic bishop, actually a Roman Catholic cardinal, and Galileo tried to quote him uh, that our faith is concerned more with going to heaven than how the heavens go. That was that Copernican little dialogue. You know, what, what is the real issue here? And Galileo was arguing that as a person who interprets scripture, that he read the scripture is not really about whether the sun orbits this, the earth or the earth orbits the sun. That was not a religious issue. Now, there were those who disagreed with him at the time. So where does the conflict come from? Well, a short answer is this. Some people in both communities, some people of faith and some people of science, uh, make claims outside their area. Let's put it this way. Is it possible that some scientists might pontificate in matters that are not science? Is it possible some people of faith might pontificate about matters that are beyond faith? Okay. There you have the rub, okay? This kind of thing. Is a, at times, both sides overreach, and if you're going to have that, you're going to have an issue. At times, people of faith make claims, pronouncements. For example, that the sun revolves around the earth. There was a point in history when leaders of the church were arguing that is a matter of faith. Today, we would laugh at that, okay? We would know better. Now, there are also people arguing out there, the universe was created in 4004 B.C., and they like to put, the, they're in their little dioramas, the dinosaurs and the people <laughs> together, you know. Uh, maybe not quite as funny. And there are other issues. But we know that people of faith can make claims about things that are not really to do with faith. Same way, people of science are capable of making claims 
They're not scientific in nature. For example, there is no God. That is a claim made by a group of people called the New Atheists, among others. Um, they claim that there is scientific... I, I love this. How science shows that God does not exist. Bad science. Actually, not science. Not even remotely science. Religion is irrational. The material universe is all that there is. And there are some within the scientific community, not even a majority, but some who would argue these things. Uh, so whenever people of faith make claims outside, scientists make claims outside, there is going to be a clash. And obviously, there's you, can, you can sell a lot of books with that, by the way. Uh, now, this is known even in the scientific community. Uh, David Darling is a quantum physicist, and I'm going to tease you a little bit for three weeks from now. You know that we have teleported, right? You know that we've been teleporting for 20 years. And the distances and the amount that we're teleporting is increasing all the time. And then in principle, there's no reason you couldn't have a million light years and teleport instantly. That's physics. That's three weeks from now. Just going to hang that out there, okay? <laughs> uh, anyway, he's one of the guys doing this, okay? As a society, we have made the mistake of thinking that because science can answer some questions very well, which it does indeed do, it might eventually be able to answer all questions. Scientists may need to be quite modest in their claims, but recently a number of them have been growing more ambitious. The result has been a number of grandiose claims, there is no God, that can be neither scientifically justified or fulfilled, but it doesn't keep them from making it. So today, though, and in light partially because of the new atheists, but not exclusively to them, uh, there's a focal point of this dialogue. It has to do with something that grew out of science, something that's been put forward as science. It is something advocated by some scientists and flat out rejected by, I would say, probably a larger group of scientists. And it is something called naturalism. And so we want to take a few minutes to look at what is this thing called naturalism and why is it out there? And there's some confusion. Part of the confusion is this. The word naturalism refers to in two entirely different things. They're related but they're entirely different. One of them we have no issue with. Matter of fact, one of them we openly embrace. The other one we would take issue with. Uh, but they both go by naturalism, which of course confuses things. Uh, but they're indeed different. The first of these has to do with the methodology of science. How science works, how it operates, what it does. Um, and this is the first way the word is used. This is called a big 25 cent word here methodological naturalism. Big word for a very simple uh, deal. This is the original meaning of naturalism. This is science proper. Science, as we know it, practices methodological naturalism. All that means is that the arena of scientific endeavor is limited to the natural order. As a methodology, the way that we work is we limit ourselves to the empirical, to the material, to the physical dimension. That's what science does. Uh, it's limited to the empirical, it's limited to the material, it's limited to the stuff of nature. That's what science endeavors to examine, to look at, to study, to analyze. Aaron McMillan, he is a res highly respected philosopher of science at the University of Notre Dame who died a couple of years ago. He had an interesting observation. 
big word again, methodological naturalism, the scientific method, does not restrict our study of nature. He's saying this as a scientist. It just lays down what sort of study qualifies as scientific. Not every form of study qualifies as science. Science is a particular definition. If someone wants to pursue another approach to nature, and there are many such others, the methodological naturalist has no reason to object. Scientists have to proceed the way they do because that's the nature of science. They're limited. But the methodology uh, of natural science does not exclude the claim that a particular event or type of event can be explained by evoking God's creative action. doesn't exclude it. It's just not part of science. It is just that such claims are not relevant for scientific inquiry. Make sense? That's scientific method. Now, here's Eugene Scott, Executive Director of the Centers for Science Education. Science neither denies or opposes the supernatural. It ignores the supernatural for reasons of methodology. It simply is not concerned about it. That's not where it operates. What this means, there's no fundamental conflict between science and the original meaning of naturalism, which is to say scientific method. There is no, as long as we have the, the understanding that the scientific method restricts itself to the arena of the physical, the empirical, the natural. In that case, there is no conflict whatsoever. And that's what's historically been meant by science. Faith and science operate at different arenas. Uh, science restricts itself to the realm of nature. Religion restricts itself to matters of faith. Here's the problem. If we had left it there, we wouldn't be having this conversation. The problem is there's a second meaning of the word naturalism that over time has evolved. It was not originally a part of science, but it's developed and it's entered the conversation. Um, and it's the second meeting that dominates the discussion today. When you buy a book today and it talks about naturalism, it is most likely not methodological naturalism it's talking about. It's talking about this new morphed understanding of naturalism, what it means. So we want to look at that. It's most commonly just called naturalism, but the technical term is ontological. <laughs> Headache. Uh, not as bad a word as you would think. If you had not seen that word before, ontology simply has to do with that which exists or that which is real. Okay? So instead of being a method or a way of approaching, this is a broader category. It has to do with what is the very nature of the universe, what constitutes being real as versus not being real. And that's what ontological is about. Whereas the methodological nat naturalism or traditional science has to do with the limits of science, that science is restricted to the empirical and to the natural realm, ontological step goes a giant leap further and makes an additional claim. And it holds that the empirical or natural realm is all there is. There is nothing else. Now, that is not the same. That is fundamentally different. It's a radically different claim. For ontological naturalism, and when you see a book like Where the Conflict Really Lies, Science, Religion, Naturalism, uh, Plantina is, is talking about this. 
Nature is all there is. The physical is all there is. The empirical is all there is. The only things that are real, the only things that exist, are the natural objects that we can perceive with our senses, albeit enhanced by the technology that we have, whether it's microscopes, telescopes, or whatever. Um, all knowledge of this physical reality comes through scientific inquiry. All knowledge of the universe comes through science. Get the agenda there? Through scientific inquiry. Everything falls within the scope of scientific method. We look only for natural empirical causes to explain everything in the universe. But what if we can't figure it out scientifically? Well, we have an answer for that, okay? If science cannot know it, it don't exist. <laughs> if it's not empirical, it don't exist, you know, by definition. Now, do you think people of faith might take issue? Okay. This is a fundamentally different understanding of naturalism. We have moved beyond the realm of traditional science. Many people would argue we've moved into the realm of philosophy. Questions that cannot be resolved by scientific inquiry, and these are the buzzwords, they're meaningless, or they are, my favorite word, irrational. <laughs> the, the, the new atheists love that word, you know, that relig all religion is irrational. Why? By definition, okay. Uh, science is the only path to knowledge and understanding, and the rational persons, it's exper uh, uh, empirical science are nothing. Now, a lot of rational scientists would disagree, would disagree with that statement, okay? There's a lot of rational scientists who say that's, that's, that's nuts. It's this form of ra uh, naturalism that is in fundamental conflict with religion and faith, just in case you didn't figure it out. In naturalism, in this sense, there is no spiritual, there is no transcendent, there's no trans or metaphysical, there's no supernatural, because there's nothing beyond what you can perceive through your senses. Nothing else is real, only nature. Um, it is by definition atheistic no god no revelation no soul no miracles all of that language is simply confused gobbledygook nonsense irrational stuff things do not exist because they do not refer to empirical realities and it's this form of naturalism of course that lies behind dawkins and all the other and some of you read their their work okay this is what they're about this is the argument that they would put forward in the name of science they would say they're arguing on behalf of science. Um, of course, there are others like that, too. Now, this group generates some really interesting book titles. The End of Faith. Wishful thinking. But, you know, there it is. The God Delusion. It's one of Dawkins' books. God, the Failed Hypothesis. Or how what naturalism or science shows that God does not exist. God is not great. How religion poisons everything. That one targets... Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, which the God is great as part of their creed. Okay? Now, this goes by many names, depending where you are. Uh, for example, naturalism. And by the way, all these are isms. Only the natural exists. Materialism, only the material exists. Physicalism, only the physical exists. Empiricism, only the empirical exists. Scientism, only scientific knowledge provides uh, his accounts. One other term that you're probably familiar with, it's called reductionism. These are all ways of talking about a fundamental approach that goes under the rubric of reductionism. For reductionism, 
everything is reduced to the empirical by definition only the empirical counts only the physical counts only the material counts nothing else is valid by definition so everything is only and you get that language many I'm not sure how many is many but there's there's a few uh, who would argue that naturalism and atheism are part of the scientific worldview I will tell you from the stuff I read that I think the majority of scientists would say that's balderdash that's just bunk that's not science for one thing ontological naturalism is not science it is ideology it is faith it is philosophy it is metaphysics there are numerous books written by scientists of many disciplines who will argue that ontological naturalism is actually a form of religion it is an atheistic religion but it is a religion what it is not is it is not science naturalism gives answers to religious questions well, what do we call something that gives answers to religious questions we call it religion don't we uh, it makes religious claims there is no God that's not a scientific claim that's a religious claim there's no life after death life has no meaning except the meaning that you inject into it to say that God exists is a metaphysical spiritual religious claim to say that God does not exist is a religious metaphysical spiritual claim you know uh, both statements are beyond the realm of science any good philosopher of science knows that both have left the realm of the empirical and then moved into the realm of faith and religion which means that much of this much ballyhooed conflict that's supposed to be out there has absolutely nothing to do with religion and faith and science it's simply not about that uh, it's about something else it's about a conflict between faith and an ideology or a worldview known as naturalism meaning ontological naturalism we got no problems with the principles of science now you hear heard of Friedman Dyson okay uh, have to get to close this is an impressive resume by the way theoretical physicist and mathematician famous for his work on quantum electrodynamics okay solid-state physics astronomy nuclear engineering aka scientist okay Science and religion are two ways that people look through trying to understand the big universe outside, trying to understand why we are here. The two windows give different views. Sounds like Galileo again. But they look out at the same universe. Both views are one-sided. Neither is complete. Both leave out essential features of the real world, and both are worthy of respect. Trouble arises when either science or religion claims universal jurisdiction, when either religious or scientific dogma claims to be infallible, religious creationists and scientific materialists are equally dogmatic and insensitive. That boy can preach, okay? <laughs> By their arrogance, both sides, they bring both science and religion into disrepute, the media also exaggerate their numbers and importance. 
The media rarely mention the fact that the great majority of religious people belong to moderate denominations that treat science with respect, or the fact that the great majority of scientists tr treat religion with respect, so long as religion does not claim jurisdiction over scientific questions. Do you remember the statement of the Book of Discipline? We affirm science, but we don't give it permission to make authoritative claims in matters of faith. Here's the science is saying, we affirm religion, we just don't give it the authority to make authoritative claims in matters of science. Two arenas. Stay in your own court. Okay. This is why most religious traditions, including ours, as well as most common people, including large numbers of scientists and people of faith, see no inherent conflict between science as science and faith as faith. And why the current discipline affirms the legitimate role of science it further asserts the two are complementary. Shorthand version, science, yes. Methodology of science, absolutely. The ideology of reduced or reductionist naturalism, not a chance. Simply, we cannot affirm that. Which is exactly what our Book of Discipline says. Smart people wrote that thing. Isn't that amazing? You know? It's interesting, at all this debate, in all these books I've looked at, and you come right back to the book Discipline and how, how wisely that's worded in light of the contemporary conversation. Now, any of y'all get New Science Magazine? Okay, great magazine, by the way. Uh, this is one of the ones you don't have to have math for. <laughs> they give you the conceptual stuff, you know, that's the Reader's Digest version of science. Uh, this is the cover of the one that came out this week. And there's a lot of quantum physics and some other stuff in, in this, this article. But one of the big debates that's going on out in the scientific world is, what the heck is real? <coughs> we don't know. We used to think we knew. But now we're not sure. And there's this wonderful debate that's going out there between that. So what we're going to shift to for the next th three weeks is, uh, I think, the most exciting of all. It has to do with recent developments in science, and by that I mean 1905 forward, uh, because the landmark work of, of Einstein and those who have followed him. Uh, these are game changers. In the dialogue between science and faith, these are game changers. And they're opening new doors to the relationship between science and faith. One of the interesting things that's happened is a fairly large number of physicists who become priests. I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking about a large number of physicists whose science have led them to faith. That's an interesting phenomenon. Um, and changing the very nature of the, the conversation. These are so important, we want to take three weeks. Now, I'll be honest with you. This is the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of things we can't get into. We're not getting into biology and stuff like that. But these are three of the areas I think are particularly exciting. First you got to begin with the grandfather, okay? He turned the world, no he didn't, he turned the universe upside down. This is why Time Magazine, calling not the person of the year, he was the person of the century. Um, we want to look at his theories of relativity, both specific and general, and again, we're not doing the math, and the conceptual part of it is actually not that hard. Uh, how these theories fundamentally altered the way we perceive the universe a death blow to what is called the Newtonian universe. 
that for three or 400 years we had thought we understood the way the universe was until in light of the more recent theories and the more recent science, that view of the universe simply fell apart. We want to deal with that. By the way, quantum physics grows out of Einstein's work, as does numerous other branches of it. Then we want to look at some developments in astronomy, astrophysics, and cosmology. You've heard of the Big Bang. It amazes me that some people of faith want to say, oh, Big Bang, bad, bad idea. Uh-uh. Big Bang is the best proof of God we've got, okay, or one of them. Uh, and the, there's an argument in the Big Bang itself, and this is now being kicked around uh, a lot, and they're trying to come up with some alternatives. Multiple universes is one alternative. But that the universe, if the Big Bang theory is true, by definition, it requires a supernatural cause. That's worth looking at, okay? Uh, we want to look at the anthropic principle, uh, what Paul Davies calls the Goldilocks principle. Uh, there are multiple constants of the universe. And I know that um, when the poking train has one, he talks about, imagine all of the grains of sand on all the beaches in the world. And that's one of the phys physical constants of the universe. Take one grain off or put one grain extra on and life becomes impossible in the universe. That's one of several. And this is, this is a well-known phenomenon in science, and it, it, there's a lot being written about that. So the whole anthropic principle. Why is it that this universe just happens to be hardwired, it seems like, for life to exist, for consciousness? Then we want to just let our fantasy soar, and let's have some fun. Uh, let's go to quantum physics. Uh, let's talk about non-locality. Now, locality is the thing that your view of the universe is based on. Objects can only be in one place at one time, right? Wrong. <laughs> Scientifically proven. Wrong. Quantum entanglement, which produces teleportation, among other things. The military is already making communications devices that cannot be broken into because it operates here and it operates there with no connection in between. Cannot be intercepted because there's no signal. Do you think the military wants that puppy? Okay. In principle, you can put one 10,000 light years out, one here, and communicate instantaneously. The speed of light is irrelevant. Quantum entanglement. And the mind blower, what's called the quantum enigma. Consciousness is required to bring reality into existence. Things do not even exist until they're consciously perceived. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we'll start simple. Einstein. Okay. <laughs> Would you stand? Number 117. <laughs> 